A reading from the book of Exodus. The angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on the right and on the left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them. All of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptians into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon the chariots and the chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one, of them not one of them remained, but the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. The word of the Lord. We have arrived at week four of our preaching series of exploring stories from the book of Exodus and how those stories can give us guidance in answering the question of what is God calling us to do in our lives? In the first couple of weeks, first off, we looked at story and how the, the, the role of story in helping us answer that question. Uh, then we looked at the role of problems and the problems we encounter in the world and how that helps us answer that question. Last week, we saw the importance of community and the rituals and the calendar and the encouragement that comes from community can help us know what God wants us to do with our lives. This week, I want us to think about the personal hardships that we encounter in our life as a way of understanding God's call for us. Our reading from Exodus today mentions a trial, a hardship that comes the way of the Israelites. If you remember from last week, we talked about the terrible judgment that God unleashed against 
Pharaoh and the Egyptians for their failure to release the Israelites from captivity and enslavement and to give them their freedom. Well, after that judgment, Pharaoh finally relents, allows the Israelite people to go. They gather up their things. They quickly head out of town and begin to leave. But after they've left, Pharaoh has a change of heart. And he decides that he wants them back, that he doesn't want to let them go. And so he gathers up his army and he marches against them and pursues them to re-enslave them. The people, they arrive at the Red Sea and having no boats, no way to cross. And then they look behind them and they see this coming army of Egyptians after them. There's nowhere for them to go. Well, they're not stuck between a rock and a hard place. They are stuck between a sea and an advancing murderous army. The Israelites are facing this hardship of this advancing army, and there doesn't seem to be much hope. Now, these are not the only people who have had to face hardships and trials in their lives. I know you, too, have faced trials of various kinds in your lives. Sickness and disease, the death of loved ones, broken relationships, mental anguish, And sometimes there are things we can do to remove those hardships and remove those trials and solve those problems. And sometimes there is no easy way out. Consider the life of David Brannard and the trials he faced. He was born in Connecticut in 1718. His father died when he was nine. His mother passed when he was 14. He, like so many others of his day, grew up in a Puritan Christianity that required strictness and discipline, and there was little room of grace. When he was 21, and after much wrestling with his soul and reading of scripture, he went for a walk in the woods one day, and during that time, he came to see the wonderfulness of God that had not been part of his life and his understanding of God previously. Here's some of the words that David wrote in describing this experience. He says, My soul was so captivated and delighted with the excellency, loveliness, greatness, and other perfections of God that I was even swallowed up in him. He goes on to talk about following this day that he has this whole new outlook on life. He has this whole new understanding of who God is. And following this transformative moment, he decides to enroll at Yale College, which is now Yale University, in order to pursue further education so that he can go and be a minister in the church. While there, he develops the first signs of tuberculosis that would plague him for the rest of his life, many times incapacitating him and keeping him in bed before finally killing him when he's 29. There was also conflict at school while he was enrolled there between the students and the administration, like so often happens in college campuses. Many of the students, like Brannard, uh, had evangelical leanings in responding to the Great Awakening that had been sweeping across America. And many of the administrators were in favor of a less emotionally involved Christianity. And so they imposed various rules and fines on the students to encourage them to conform to their way of thinking. 
One of the rules they had was that if a student made any ill remark or negative comment against an administrator, they could be expelled. David made two such remarks on two separate occasions, and he was expelled. And despite his contrition, and despite the lobbying of others over the years, Yale never let him resume his studies. Since he didn't have the right credentials, he could not serve an established church. And so this led him to go and to preach to people who were not looking for any credentials. He went out and began to preach to Native Americans. He rode around on his horse and he preached and taught about Jesus and God's love. And some people believed and many of the people he talked to didn't. And while he did this work as long as his health allowed, he was also someone that had deep times of depression as he recorded in his diary. One such example he wrote about goes like this. Indeed, I seem to feel wholly destitute of any happiness or hopes or expectations of happiness, either in the present or coming world, and yet felt no considerable degree of misery. He regularly wrote about not having any kind of positive outlook on life or negative outlook on life. He didn't really care one way or the other what happened. He had complete apathy. When I think about David Brannard, he is someone who endured a number of hardships in his life. The loss of his parents, disease, depression, loneliness, expulsion from school to do the one thing that he thought God wanted him to do, to be a minister in a church. And he prayed to God often for the removal of these trials. Please change their hearts. Let me get back to school. Please heal me from this disease. Please take away this darkness of my soul. And yet, those trials and those hardships remained with him. This is very different than what happens with the Israelites in our Exodus reading today. They have an army that's coming against them, a sea as a barrier, and they cry out to God for help, and God hears their cries, and God parts the water, allowing the Israelites to cross on dry land and gain their freedom and gain their safety. They receive salvation on that day. And this salvation from this hardship directs them to what God wants them to do, to be a people that are devoted to God and to worship God. As verse 31 says, so the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord. One way that hardships can help us hear God's voice is when God delivers us from those hardships. When God saves us from a trial that we are facing, that can be a source of God guidance, of God directing our path, of God saying, go this way. But what about when God doesn't deliver us from the hardship and it remains, like in Brannard's life? Does that give us guidance? It does. Brannard would have never embarked on sharing the good news of Jesus to Native Americans if he had not been expelled from school. And he would have stopped that ministry the day they let him back into school. His own struggles with his physical health and his mental health gave him great compassion for Native people that he saw suffering in the world as people took their land and exploited them and oppressed them. 
God at times rescues us from hardships and at other times uses those hardships to be part of the redemptive work of this world. And we don't have to look any further than to the cross of Jesus to know that. For in the hardship that Jesus experienced on the cross, he brought salvation to the world and redemption of all that is broken. All of our hardships participate in the suffering of the cross. And as God raised Jesus from the dead, so will God raise us from the dead and ultimately redeem all of our hardships on the last day. The hardships we experience in our lives today point us to be involved in the work of God in this world. And that is true whether God grants us immediate salvation from the pain or that salvation waits until the final day. At times when we experience hardships that are not taken away from us, that continue on, we can begin to fantasize about a different life. If only I didn't have a rebellious kid, then I could do something for God. Or if my spouse was dif different, then I would have so much more space to love. Or if my friends were not so disloyal, then I would be so much more capable of loving my neighbors. Or if this chronic illness was gone, then think about all the good I could do. Or if my neighbors hadn't been so evil to me, then I could be a holy person. It's always easy to be a good Christian in the hypothetical lives of our fantasies. But God is not calling you to be a faithful follower of Jesus in your imagination. And God does not bring salvation and redemption to make-believe people. God brings salvation and redemption to real people with real problems. To you, dear ones. With all your hurts and your failures and your hardships and your pains and your trials and your broken relationships and, your, and all the hellish moments of your life. God is interested in redeeming those actual and tangible hurts in your soul, in your mind, in your body, in your relationships, in your heart. God is interested in redeeming you. God is calling you to be present in your actual life with the hardships there. And God is redeeming you and the world around you through those present hardships. Sometimes God grants you full salvation from some suffering like God did with the Israelites. And other times God only gives you a taste of the full salvation that will not come until the return of Jesus. God grants you a small reprieve from the pain, a moment of grace and a rough relationship, but the hardship endures and the full redemption awaits the coming of Jesus. Remember that the Israelites experienced quick salvation on that day at the Red Sea, but they also suffered for hundreds of years of enslavement and oppression in Egypt before that day. And I know the trials of your life are difficult and hard and painful. And nothing I say today is to minimize those hurts. They are real and finding relief is good. But so often there are no easy avenues of relief from the pain, and it remains. Today you have your hardships, you have your trials. 
Some of them may be new to you as of this morning. Some of them may have been with you your whole life. But as you consider them, wonder, what are they pointing to? What doors do those trials open so that you might be God's presence in this world? For our hardships are another way to know what God is calling us to do.